Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hello, hello, everybody. Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are across the globe. I'm so excited you're with us for yet another fantastic Everyday Innovator episode. I love that I get to meet people from around the world who are just making an impact, who are disrupting, who are changing the game. And we're all just these people kind of out there doing it. And it's exciting for me to be able to shine a light on those people. And one of those is who I have on with me today. Enrique, welcome to the show. Tell the world a little bit about who you are and the world that you're in. <laughs> well, thank you, Tamara, for inviting me to this conversation. My name is Enrique Rubio. I am the founder of a global learning community of HR leaders and practitioners called Hacking HR. We bring everybody together to build community, to network, collaborate with each other, and to learn. And we do that via events, our Hacking HR main global conference, which is in March of uh, every year, in March of 2022, and of course, in other years as well, we build our own technology platform, which is still growing for uh, to serve the HR community. I, I was a corporate HR practitioner. Before that, my sort of my original background, I am an engineer, an electronic engineer. So I practiced engineering for a number of years before moving to HR. And now, you know, as an entrepreneur in the community space, which is an exciting sort of transition and journey in my career. So let me let me start by asking you this. And you know, if you're in the corporate world, you probably know this. Maybe if you're in the entrepreneurial world, this may not be uh, as familiar of a category to you, and and that's fine. So I want to kind of set the stage. I think uh, I've had a long corporate background as well as entrepreneurial background, and I know firsthand that. HR, human resources, is not known as the most innovative category or field or department. And, you know, you've got this hacking HR thing. I just <laughs> want to set the stage for people. Why go after HR the way you're doing it? I think it's very easy in this category in particular, or this field, I should call it a field, to stay status quo because, you know, you're kind of over there running the ship a little bit. So we just yeah. talk a little bit about why you decided to take this leap in this way. Yeah, well, I think it's precisely because of that. I think there was a big opportunity for 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 me to say, you know, the, the space of HR needs a lot of love, like real love, as in I believe in the power of HR to be uh, to be a change maker, to be a change agent. I just don't think that we are where we need to be in terms of our capabilities, our skills, our knowledge, our insights for us to be able to be that change agent, and maybe I can be a a, a stakeholder, a protagonist, if you will, in the movie of creating a better HR. And actually, Hacking HR started as a conversation just between technology and HR because, well, it combined my two backgrounds and that's what I wanted to do, but it's evolved significantly and now we covered a lot of things. But the reality is sort of the, the more underlying uh, fundamental here is that I see HR 
as one of the last frontiers of change, transformation, and innovation in the corporate world. If you look at sales, IT, marketing, operations, they have gone through a lot of the processes that we're going through right now. They don't, they've done that in the past. And, and I see that opportunity coming up for HR now and over the past you know, several years. And then in addition to that, HR sits in a unique intersection of business operation and people operation. So I think we are sitting at the place where we can become, we have the potential to become the trailblazers that are leading people and organizations into a new world of work. Some people call it the future of work. I just call it the new reality of work. I don't think we are ready yet to sort of assume and take over that trailblazing role, but I have the belief that it's HR uh, who's going to be fulfilling that role uh, going forward. So that's that's what I'm why I'm passionate about HR. I acknowledge the uh, the pitfalls and the areas where we need improvement, but I, I'm envisioning the potential future that it has uh, ahead of us that we have ahead of us. I really like what you said there, Enrique about. I believe we have the ability to be change makers, but we're not there right now. And kind of you seeing this ability to, hey, if if enough of us work together, we can actually leap to make this happen. That, of course, ruffles a lot of feathers, shakes a lot of (laughs) things up. I I mean, I, I do think there's a bit of a groundswell of people wanting what you're saying. And, right, you hit resistance. So, yeah. yeah, what kind of obstacles did you face in taking this path or wanting to take this path? And how did you overcome them? You know, I I know you love stories. I'm going to tell you a story. When I put together the very first Hacking HR event, this was back in September of 2017, by July or August of 17, I called a nature leader. First of all, I invited this person via email. And he said, I want to talk to you about this. So I called him on the phone. And the very first, he didn't even say hello. I promised that this is how it happened. He didn't even say hello or anything. The first thing he said was, why hacking HR? Like very aggressive, right? Against the name. And I explained, you know, that the concept of hacking something means changing something from the core, not just a facade of something, but the very core of that something. And he said to me, I don't think everything in HR needs to be hacked. For example, and he used this example, I don't think employment law and labor relations need, need, uh, need to be hacked. And I said, okay, well, that's your point of view. Thank you. But no, thank you. I don't want you to be a speaker at my event. <laughs> you know, fast forward three years later, when we went all into lockdowns and remote work with COVID, what did we find out? That our existing employment frameworks did not respond anymore to the reality that we were going through. So we needed to hack the employment laws, the, the labor relationships, and all those kinds of things. So all, all I'm saying here is that we, in everything that we do, we find people that don't like it. They resist change. And I feel, and I'm sure you've gone through this experience yourself and with your interviews, that very often when you find the, the, the cause of why people resist change is because they are, they are afraid of their role in the new in the new status, if you will. And I feel that a lot of people have that fear. They don't know in this world of chaos, technology, disruption, change. They don't know what their role will be. And even less so, they don't even know if they will be able to learn the new skills that are needed in this new world. So that's what I I fear, what I feel HR fears. And we're trying to close that gap. We're trying to tell them we're here for you. You don't have to fear. And if you fear, that's okay. We're going to be here with you along the journey. We still have people that resist change in HR. And we have a long list of people, a large group of people that are like, I'm ready for that trailblazing HR that you're describing, Enrique. So 
I've seen a little bit of both and I'm, I'm already sort of a, like, a, I, I grew a little bit of a thicker skin when, <laughs> when people say why hacking HR, you know, like those kinds of things. I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's your point of view. I, I, I respect it. I just don't agree with it. Okay. I have, I have a few things I want to delve into Enrique, because you said some yeah. really important things in there. First, I just want to say your everyday innovator style is risk taker inquisitive. And what that really means, a risk taker is all about innovating the uncomfortable. It's about being bolder and bigger. That's actually one of the huge advantages that a risk taker has is we, and I'm one as well. So we tend to leap and figure it out. We like to figure it out as we're kind of not free falling, but maybe a little less comfortable as we do it. And, you know, and we tend to push the boundaries a little bit because we will leave when other people will stay on the ledge. So the beauty of that is you can set a vision for people and people will follow. Um, And the inquisitive side is all about that challenging assumptions, which you just kind of all talked about, didn't you? About like, you know, challenging hacking is exactly that. Like why, why, why? And kind of digging deep. So it's all about bold and deep innovation. So the question I have for you as that risk taker, and you just said it about having a thick skin, which is why I want to ask this, is on one hand, as a risk taker and inquisitive, you're really good at challenging assumptions and pushing the boundaries. Yet we also have to figure out ways to pull people along. And I think what you said about people fearing change, it's really a lot more personal than we like to give her credit for, right? We fear being irrelevant. We fear having not having the skills to change with what's happening around us. We, we fear what it could mean for us if we're not able to change. I mean, I, I think you're so right about that. So in all this experience you've had, particularly with Hacking HR, how have you dealt with those people or those fears in a way that just helps move people along? Because the reality is we can't just have us early adopters Right. We, we, we need the other, we need everybody. We need the yes butters. Yeah. We need the people who resist change too. So what advice do you have for helping those people come along for the ride? Yeah. Well, well there are a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, the, the first one is that for anybody who is doing something like I'm doing, we got to be okay with the fact that not everybody will be on board right away or ever for that matter. And sometimes that's hard. Because you do something and you think like, wow, I'm doing something freaking awesome. Everybody should be on board with this. But that's not true. Uh, that's, that's, not, that's not true. That's never going to be true. No matter what you look at in the world, how, how much uh, something can seem and feel as wonderful and amazing to you for somebody else that may not be as wonderful and amazing. And we got to be okay with that. So from an internal perspective for, the, for that innovator that you're talking about is the fact that we just got to be okay with not everybody being on board you know, at once. And, and actually, there's a book called uh, Crossing the Chasm, and it talks about t- technology adoption, but I think it's pretty much the same in everything that you do. You know, there are early, early adopters. There's the, the, the late majority, which is, you know, when everybody is like, okay, I'm going to get into that train now because I saw a lot of people doing it before. So that is, that is one thing. Now, if you still want to push the envelope, and re- try to remove as much of those fears as pos- as many of those fears as possible from your your stakeholders, your, con- your constituency. I think one thing that I do in all of my messaging is tell people, "Let me help you. Let us help you in hacking HR to uh, close the gaps, to get you ready for the future." I never say, "Oh, you don't want to learn." I mean, too bad for you, man. You're gonna be <laughs> left behind. You're not employable anymore. You are losing your capability to you know, to find a job or to be something in the future. I always come from a very positive perspective of, 
I understand that you may not have these skills or capabilities today. Let me help you with that. Uh, you know, let's together remove the fears, build the skills, and get ourselves ready for that future that we can trailblaze others towards. So that's the way I see it. Um, Enrique, I got to say, you said something, I think that's even bigger than just HR in there. And I just want to highlight it for a second. And, and that is that, you know, we, I think when we think about innovation, disruption, change, whatever cliche word we want to throw out that is really about progress at the end of the day yeah. and keeping up with the changes of the world is we think, well, you should just get it. And if you don't, <laughs> too bad for you, you're yeah. irrelevant. And, and I think globally, we make that mistake and we leave a lot of people behind. Yeah that could have a place in the future because we don't position it or paint a picture that includes them. And what I hear you saying is, Hey, I want to like shake it up and I want to change the way I want to hack it. I want to change it. And let me show you how you can have a part of that. And let me support you in doing that. And I think that in itself is a really innovative way to look at change. Yeah. Well, absolutely. And and if you look at, especially at the past uh, three industrial revolutions that started in the in the mid 1750s or in the 1750s in every period of transition the end result was generally better than the original state you know we ended up with something better than what we had before but the transition was not easy i mean you look at the transition between the second the, the, the first and the second industrial revolution and the third industrial revolution and a lot of people were left behind uh, during those transitions and then i'm thinking we are at the dawn of a new era in the world where technology is truly taking over, not just transactional jobs or work, is taking over more cognitive kind of work that was reserved for humans in the past three industrial revolutions. So what I'm thinking is that unless we bring everybody on board in these conversations and help them understand that by reskilling and upskilling themselves, they have a better chance than by staying where they are, we, if we don't do that, there will be many more people left behind than anything that we have seen in the past. So to me, it is important to create a a sense of urgency because we need to learn, we need to upskill and reskill ourselves. But on the other hand, a little sense of we are together on this. I don't want to say a a sense of comfort, by the way, because I, I think that we have to shake people up a little bit and tell them, don't get too comfy here. But it's more around the fact of, if you feel as an individual that you don't know much about technology or you don't know much about one thing or another, and you fear that raising your hand to ask the question will make you feel or look stupid or something like that, don't feel, don't feel like that. You know, come together. We are in this together. And that's the way I try to present Hacking HR and all our programs to the people that we serve, telling them, we understand that this may not be your jam and it's okay. Let's together get into, into the groove of learning together because we're all on the same uh, sort of journey, if you will. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on With Tamara Gondor Podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition. 
And I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD dog treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy's CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy, but before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code TAMARA. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. I really appreciate that, Enrique. And I think it's part of the reason you guys have been so successful is the mindset of, hey, let's show people how they can come to the future with us versus like, hey, jump on board or you're you're on your own in the or ocean. Good, or goodbye. Yeah, yeah exactly. later. Yeah. And, and, but I do think as leaders, regardless of what industry position you're in, and I know I've been guilty of this, that's a mistake we make. And you know what? Some people won't ever jump and that's okay. Like that's their decision. Yeah. yeah. But I think more will than not. We And once we kind of realize or deal with the fear that you were talking about earlier, I want to switch it for a second now and, and talk about kind of the other side of the coin, which is the win. So what's some a win or something that you're really proud of that you've, you've accomplished? Well, building this community from scratch, uh, I think, you know, building a community is hard. Building a community in a space where community as, as, as a concept, as people coming together to learn with each other, collaborate, support each other in HR, that hasn't really been a concept. Um, you know, there are associations in HR, but to me, that's not a community. That's just a, that's just a brand name that brings a bunch of members together. So to me, I think I, I feel really proud of the fact that we were able to rally all these people together around conversations, learning, collaboration, and you, you know, I did it from scratch. So I, I, that, that to me, it's, uh, you know, it's quite a, quite a big win. Uh, and I feel personally very, very proud of having done all this. It's not perfect and it hasn't been perfect or always nice, but, uh, you know, like the guy that I talked to in September of 2017, I could have said back then, oh, wow, if this is the way people feel about the name Hacking HR, maybe I don't do anything. But instead, that pushed me forward to say, oh, probably we need more of Hacking HR instead. So anyway, that, that's the way, that's what I feel about, you know, one of my biggest wins in, in my recent, you know, uh, a professional work. Sometimes I think that the no's become fuel to keep going. They sure do. Uh, and I've gotten a lot of no's, um, you know, in my career, and with Hacking HR, for example, you know, let me just another story here. I put together this global conference and I bring about five, 600 speakers to each of these conferences. And that's a lot of people, but I don't only send 600 invites. I send 10,000. I'm, I'm, I'm not just 
This is not hyperbole. I'm, I sent 10,000 invitations. And some people never respond. Some people are like, I don't care about you. Some people are like, I don't want to be part of this. And, and especially when I hear those that doubt of what we're doing, that actually becomes my fuel to say, I'm going to show you now. <laughs> it's a little bit of a, it may sound a little arrogant, but it's not. It's more of a, I'm going to show you that what we're doing is cool. And, and then you're going to want to get on this bandwagon uh, together with the rest that trusted that what we were doing was actually valuable for the community. So, you know, that's, that's been quite a journey to, to uh, you know, to get fueled by those no's. Well, and to your point, I agree with you. I, actually, let me just tell you a quick personal story. I'll tell you what my youngest son, he's 13. He didn't get into the high school he wanted. It was an art school and he didn't get a call back. And so it was a no. And I said to him, you know what? You're going to use that no and you're going to go out there and you're going to do amazing things. And then you're going to make him realize we should have said yes to that guy. I was like, so you're going to use this as fuel. And I think he was a little confused when I first said that to him. So I was like, well, this is great. Now you have some fuel. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm totally with you. You know, a lot of the hearing the no's though does take some thick skin. And you mentioned that as well. How do you, how do you handle the no's? I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's easy to say, let's have a thick skin, but hard for a lot of us to do. So how have you developed that? It's a little bit of a skill, I think, in some ways. How have you developed that over time? And what do you do with it? Well, uh, I want to say a couple of things about that. I think developing a thick skin should actually, it should be more accurately called developing a thicker muscle. Uh, in your body. It's just, just going to the gym, right? Or, or like I'm a runner. So, you know, you, you run, you go to the gym and your muscles start to grow when they tear apart. That's actually how muscles grow. You make them work, they tear apart. And when a new tissue is built up on that uh, previous tissue that was torn up, torn up, then your muscles start to grow. That's exactly what happens here. You know, you get those nose and it, sometimes it tears you apart. You know, it is, it is hard to get the nose and it is especially hard depending on what kind of no you're getting, because somebody may say, Enrique, this is awesome, but this is not the right time for me. And I've gotten some of those answers. Some of the people have been very aggressive, you know, with their no's. And those are the ones that I can really understand, you know, like, why am I doing wrong that I'm getting this no? But that's a little bit of tear in my skin that helps me grow the next layer of muscle or fiber or tissue and whatever it is. So I think it's part of practice and, and just putting yourself out there, getting exposed to all of this, gym equipment, if you will, which is in this case, the nose. But on the other hand, one thing that I am always very, uh, very open about when I get this, when I get asked this same question, not taking things personally, I think can be sometimes a mistake. There are two ways of thinking, taking things personally. One is, uh, you know, if you let them affect you personally and individually and emotionally, I don't think that that's healthy necessarily. You may you know, you may go down to a dip and you have to get out of there. But the other kind of taking things personally means that you are building something that you care about. And when somebody says something to you that, you know, somebody insults or whatever, that's something that you care about. You feel it. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, like, uh, like sometimes people send me an email. Um, it hasn't happened often, but, you know, maybe a couple of times in the past four years, people send me an email and I'm like, why do you have to speak to me in that way? You don't even know me. And, and I take things a little bit more personally because I'm, I wonder what am I doing wrong that people may react in one way or another. But to me, taking them, taking those things personally means let me uh, review my, revise myself. Let me check myself to see if there's anything that I'm doing wrong 
and, 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 and forces that person to respond in that way. If I don't find anything, well, you know, I just let it go. But if I find something, even if I don't interact with that person anymore, that's a clue for me of, hey, I need to change this thing. I need to work on this thing. So anyway, it's, it's uh, developing the thicker skin is about exposing yourself to the gym equipment that makes your muscles grow or to the trails that makes your legs muscle be bigger when you're running. And alternatively saying, when something needs to be taken personally, I'm going to take it personally as a, as a means for me to do better and grow from there. I really like the idea of thinking of it more as a muscle and less as thick skin. Cause I think that saying it's thick skin implies it bounces off and, and it doesn't, I know no. personally it doesn't. And sometimes a no really hurts, but to your point, those tears yeah. make you stronger on the back end. And to your other point, you then learn what you maybe did wrong or could have done better so that the next time you get the yes instead, and maybe not from them, maybe it's from someone else, but I really like that shift in thinking about it. So thank you for sharing that. You know, you've, yeah, absolutely. you've shared a lot of things that you've done that I think are all really innovative to help kind of hacking HR, Excel, to help the community change with the changing times. When you think about what you've done, what's the, the one or two things that really stand out is like, yeah, Tamara, these are really... These are the really creative ways we solve problems or innovative things we've done that have helped us move forward. Yeah. Well, within the context of hacking HR, and I'm, I'm going to use that context since it's what we've been talking about. I think I think perhaps a couple of things that I that I want to uh, to say about that is number one, uh, I am a big believer in the in the power of diverse points of view to build something, and that doesn't mean that I agree with all those points of view, but bringing them to the table makes everybody better. So everything that we do in Hacking HR, always we bring a diverse set of voices, and I don't mean diversity as in what we traditionally know for diversity, meaning gender or race or ethnicity or uh, sexual orientation or um, you know identification diversity. I mean backgrounds, regions, levels, so all of that, makes everybody better. So I think that's that it stands out because actually most people who participate as speakers in our events, they always tell me, wow, I can't believe that I just I'm located in the United States and I just talk in a panel with somebody from you know Europe, Africa, at the GCC and you know the Asia Pacific region. It's just it's just amazing to be able to do that and to bring all that uh, you know brain power together. And perhaps the second thing uh, that stands out is that we are, we take our work very seriously, but we don't want people to feel that we're boring. <laughs> so, you know, what I mean by this is that, you know, we like to put great content out there, but we also want to make them feel that what we're doing has to be, you know, feels natural. It's like an extension of the way they would normally learn as humans, not necessarily as an employee, but as humans. So I like to try, I, not always do we, you know, aim right here, but I like to set myself, the, you know, set up the goal for myself of how do I make, uh, how do I make people feel that what we're doing is just a natural extension of them, you know, our platform, our events, our programs and all of that. So those two things perhaps stand out, you know, in the, in the context of the hacking work that I'm doing. How do you make people feel like it's a connection of, of themselves? I, I think often when you are pushing uh, and challenging, right? And trying to make change happen. It really is important to have a little bit of a handle of comfort that goes along with that. And I don't mean stay comfortable, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. I just mean something that people really connect with. How yeah. have you found ways to do that? I think when people come 
to the event, especially the events that we do, which are generally panels, you know, panel conversations with, you know, four or five panelists. Uh, generally, the ones that I moderate, for example, I never do a dry run. And I always say it up front. I don't do a dry run. I like to ask you what topics you want to cover together in the panel, but I don't do a dry run because I like the element of uh, spontaneity and also the element of surprise during the panel. And very often, and actually more often than not, the conversations become very, very vulnerable. People sharing their stories, very personal stories sometimes about, you know, family members passing passing away, family members sick with COVID, family members with some kind of disability. And that sharing of very personal stories, being so vulnerable in public, creates an increased amount of rapport between the panelists or among the panelists and with the audience as well. And it invites the audience, if you will, to say, wow, if the panelist is sharing that they have a family member with a disability, maybe I can say too, because it's okay. It feels okay to do it. So I think that's how we we have been able to build this uh, element of you know, uh, natural conversations and, and vulnerability in, in what we do. I, I really like that. I, I think, and as you and I were talking about before recording, you know, we don't really edit our podcast. We don't, but not because we're lazy, but because <laughs> edit for content, uh, because we want it to be natural and real. And I don't want people going into this podcast thinking that they have the ability to re-say things over and over and over until they get it right. Yeah. Because the first time was probably the, the real time. You know, yeah. Well, I have a, I have a podcast and I do the same thing. I tell them, you know, unless they say, unless they say something that they are like, you know, my job doesn't allow me to say that. So let's, you know, something along those lines. Uh, you know, even when they say, you know, causing, and I'm, I, I cause a lot, by the way. Uh, I haven't said anything any bad word today, but uh, even in those cases, I'm like, just let it go. You know, that's that's how we are outside. You know, in the real world, why is it that we have to put ourselves, you know, put a mask on when we're doing these things? We should be natural. We should be who we really are. Well, I think that that natural, that vulnerability, that realness is what drives collaboration, connection, innovation, growth. And, you know, just to date myself a little bit, when I started in my working career, you, it was very much like the minute you walk through those, those office doors, you left your personal life behind. Yeah. And like, you are the professional tomorrow, not the personal, not the weekend tomorrow, but the professional tomorrow. And I think that's changed a lot for the better. Yes, it has. Yeah. And I, and I think that has been changing for a while, but particularly COVID basically, you know, I put front and center this idea of let's be natural, let's be who we are. And you see that, for example, when people, you know, I have friends that connect to calls and podcasts and whatnot, and they have the cat, you know, jumping on the table and the dogs barking in the background and the kids saying, mama, daddy, you know, help me out with this thing. And I'm like, just let, let it go. You know, that's who you are. I want, I want your full self to be here. I don't want the fake self or the work self that you have to, you know, sometimes we have to pretend we are, uh, you know, to fit into the molds that work or society has set for us. I think I, I rather do the more natural self and that has worked out pretty well, you know, with all we do in Hacking HR. I, I'm with you hundred percent on that. Yeah. So let me ask as a risk taker inquisitive, what advice do you have for other innovators of all types who want to do what you've done and really drive innovation, influence others and make an impact in their world. Take the leap, man. Just go for it. I mean, I mean, you know, how many people like, 
I talk to, how, to so many people that tell me, Enrique, I want to do a podcast, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm afraid that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sound right or I'm, I'm going to get nervous. And I'm like, do it. It's totally fine if you're nervous at the beginning, if you don't get it right, right away or at the very beginning. That's how things happen in everything that we do in life. So just to me, it's just taking that leap of faith in, and, and, and you know, jumping over the fence into the territory that you may not know, but you are expecting cool things to happen for you because all the things that you're leaving behind, you're like, I already know all of that. I'm already bored of the same thing all the time. I want to see something different. I want my adrenaline to be flowing and rushing through my body. Like if I was, you know, into a totally new territory, just take the leap. Uh, and I, I, I feel that very often people who are like, right on the edge of taking that leap they are overthinking it and they are like what if it doesn't go right what if i don't do well what people are going to say about this i don't know all the answers that's normal everybody goes through that i you know i think i have found i have found the answers to one percent of all the questions that i have 99 <laughs> i'm still figuring out and that's okay that's the way it is and i i don't know if you found this i'm, I'm assuming you did actually is that i've once I took the leap and I got a lot of things wrong and made a lot of mistakes and <laughs> I don't know, I mean, if it could go wrong, it probably did somewhere along the path, but I find that people are more willing to help you and not judge you. They don't, in fact, they're just thrilled that you were willing to do something yeah. and to be bold in your world, whatever that looked like for you. They're more in your corner than we expect people to. The judgment I find is actually more self-judgment than it is other people. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I would say, you know, there's a there's a long quote by uh, by uh, Teddy Roosevelt uh, talking about, you know, people getting marred in the arena. The man of the in fight, the arena, yeah. The man in the arena, you yep. know, getting your hands dirty, rolling up your sleeves, and making the actual stuff happen and the work happen. And there are people who may not have gone through that, and they will be they will be there for you, supporting you in your journey. There are people who have never been there marring the, you know, with the mud in the face by jumping in the arena. And they may just criticize, you, just, you know, just like I said before, grow the muscle of, uh, you know, of understanding, just listen to see if there's anything valuable in there and, and move on. But, but I think it's, um, you know, it's a journey of a lot of mistakes and we just have to be okay with that. There's people that say, you know, nothing great comes without failing or no success comes without failing. I don't fully agree with that because if I can choose a path of less pain and less <laughs> yeah. suffering, that's the path that I'm going to choose, of course. But generally, when we're building something cool, there's going to be some level of pain and suffering and failure. What I believe is more accurate representation of what we should be doing is to learn how to manage failure better rather than either failing faster or just failing for the sake of failing. I think if we learn to manage failure, we're going to be very well equipped with you know stronger muscles to just face bigger challenges, bigger obstacles ahead of us, and also tackle the greatest opportunities that are waiting for us. I think you and I could probably have a whole different conversation on the narrative around failure because I think it's very wrong actually. Yeah. And it, right. The whole fail forward, love, fall in love with your failures. Why <laughs> the fuck would I love a failure? Like, I don't want hey, that. You know? wants that. Yeah. No, yeah. But, but, but I have learned how to navigate them. And, and if I experiment to your point, if I'm out there doing stuff, I'm learning and changing as I go. So the failure yeah. actually isn't as big. I think it's when people go from nothing to 
all or none, you know, that that's actually where the failure really happens. So yeah. that's a whole different podcast. I think we're going to have to do it another time just <laughs> about failure because I'm a hundred percent with you on that. And, and the other thing I just want to say is before my last question for you is I find that the people who criticize aren't actually criticizing you. It's more that in you doing something big or changing the game or leveling up your world that it brings out their insecurity and their mediocrity, kind of like what we were talking about with change. It's kind of like death by a thousand cuts or that old torture. Like that's how I feel it kind of, but, but I think it's more about them than it is about you. Yeah. Well, you know what, in one of my last corporate jobs, when I started doing hacking HR, my boss told me uh, either hacking HR or this job. And I said, fuck this job. I'm going to do hacking HR. (laughs) Uh, And I, and I told him, uh, because he told me like, you know, right on my face, he said, I'm your boss and you have to do what I tell you to do. And I said, well, you, I, I'm going to do what you tell me to do in the office. You can't tell me what to do outside of the office. And I told him like, you are such an insecure man. I mean, that's what's going on with you. You are so jealous of what I'm doing and all this recognition. Uh, and, and it's pretty, pretty sad, you know, to be honest, to, to be that way, instead of being either a supporter or just saying, wow, I want a little bit of piece of that, you know, teach me how you've done it. Uh, but Generally, yeah, you know that criticism, if it comes from a place of uh, of of, an, of, uh, of of negativity, if you will, I think it comes more from insecurities, jealousy, uh, or a reflection of what the person that is providing that feedback may want to do, but is not brave enough to actually do it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm totally with you on that, and uh, I don't judge him for it. I think it just makes me realize, like, hey, just know where people are coming from. Yeah. 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 And, and find those people who are willing to be in the arena with you, or at least cheer you on while you're in the arena. Yeah. All right. This has been great. Enrique. My last question for you is what is something we'd be surprised to learn about you? I'm a trail runner. And I think everybody already knows this because I, I share a lot of this on my, on my LinkedIn and my social media, but I'm a trail runner and I spend that quite a, you know, it's, you know, about three hours a day running out wow. on the trails and I use all of the time. It's funny because it may sound like leisure time, but it's not just that. I use a lot of the time for reflection, for building stuff in my mind that when I come back to my computer and I'm like, you know, cranking into that keyboard uh, so that I don't forget the ideas. I am listening to audiobooks and learning. So that part of me is, is my, is my, you know, it's, it's my own, it's, it's a part that I fully own. There's nobody around me. And I use it as a way to, you know, be physically healthy but also to do some mental creations that then I bring to the physical world. So um, yeah, that's a, that's the way I see the, that, that work of, uh, um, or that idea of being a trail runner. I really like that flip of thinking about your time and whether you are a trail runner, you know, or you love your Peloton or you just go for walks or you just meditate or clean the house. Like I got clean the house. Cause sometimes very like my, my great thinking time. Meditative. Yeah. I love it so much, but, but I I love that idea of thinking about that time, not as I'm being selfish downtime or even just personal wellness. It is all that. I like the idea of that's the time that lets you percolate and think about things. So thank you for sharing it in that way as well. Um, I'm going to go by the, if you watch the video of of any of this, by the pictures in the background, I'm kind of not surprised now that I see those. I'm like, well, that all makes sense now. (laughs) Yeah. Enrique, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. This has just been a wealth of insight. So I so appreciate what you're doing out there in the HR community. I think you're right. HR is it that intersection of process and technology and people. Um, and I think it's really important. So thank you for doing that. Thank you so much for inviting me, Tamara. It was a great conversation. 
Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.